Praise the Lord. So happy you're here with us. Thank you, worship team, deeply. We appreciate all that you do. And we want to welcome you in the house tonight. Happy to be with you. We're going to enjoy our time in the Word of God. Some of you are getting back from being out of town. Good to see you. And I just want to welcome everybody also uh, online tonight with YouTube and, and King's Community Live. And I understand that Facebook Live has been down for a while. I got that note just a few minutes ago. So tell your friends, if they were supposed to be watching the service on Facebook, you need to text them, tell them they can get it on YouTube or King's Community Live, okay? Pass the word for that. I want to start by congratulating some people. First of all, Mazal Tov. Congratulations to those that went through water immersion. Can we just clap for them today? That's a big commitment, you know, as, as Chris was pointing out, and Chris did such a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we put up there, you know, Chris is a deacon, and we say that in, in Hebrew, the shamash, right? He's, he's a deacon. He's on our deacon team, but he's, he's also on our board, and he might look familiar to you. If you don't know who he is, just turn on CBN. At some point, you'll see Chris. But we want to congratulate them. I also want to just congratulate um, one of my nephews who just got engaged this week. So that's great. Uh, he's probably watching. Should be watching. And uh, what a great, uh, lovely young lady, Randy. So I want to say congratulations, Mazal Tov, to Avery and Randy for their engagement uh, uh, this week. I got to marry one of my other nephews last, uh, last year, so hopefully I'll, I'll get to be there for this one. A lot of thank yous tonight. I just thank the media team for putting uh, together behind the scenes so that we can broadcast to, to everyone around the world. And thank you to uh, those who served the elements, the Seudat Adon, the Lord's Supper tonight. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, and we, we just have such a good team. It's so good to be part of a family. You know, it's good to be part of a family because that's how God, God built this. Our theme verse for this series that we're in, and the series is called The Least of These, the, the theme verse that we're going to touch on every week is Matthew 25, verse 40. It says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We opened the series with Yeshua identifying when he says the least of these, who is he talking about? Well, we identified that. The outcast, the homeless, the hungry, the thirsty, those in prison, those been falsely accused. And why did he identify with them? Because he had gone through so many of those same things. He identified with them. We don't have a great high priest who doesn't understand. We have a great high priest who does understand. And that's what he was pointing out. We mentioned that God's heart is to elevate everyone to their God-created destiny. See, why do, Pastor Chad, why do you talk about that all the time? Because that's the big picture. That's the cosmic question. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Why did God create us? What are we supposed to do with our life? We're supposed to be moving forward toward why we were created. It's the big cosmic question. That's why we mention it so often. But God's heart is to elevate everyone, even if society puts them down. Because their challenged current status is only temporary in the eyes of God. A poor person is only temporarily poor 
until God moves them forward on their path of destiny. A homeless person should only be temporarily homeless until God gets a hold of them and he starts to reveal to them and break through to them. The hungry and the thirsty, all of that should be a temporary position in life as God moves us forward into our destiny, both on this earth, which is a preparation, but ultimately in the age to come. We have a created destiny. God elevates everyone. Last week we focused a little bit more specifically on God's heart to elevate women. And I thought we did a good job of talking about that and and showing you from scripture God's heart for the female part of the body of Messiah here on earth. And we said that God wants to elevate everyone without diminishing someone else. You see, on earth, we've captured this this cultural dynamic right now of let's elevate the downtrodden, which is a good thing, but oftentimes we, we, we sense that we're lifting up one group at the expense of the other group. And God doesn't do that. God elevates one group without diminishing another group. God never runs out. He doesn't have to ration his love. That's why he can feed the 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30,000, whatever your theology is on the mountainside, the hillside, when he starts to tear apart the bread, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He's passing out bread. He's giving fish. And after thousands and thousands and thousands eat, he's, they're still giving it away because he doesn't ration. And he never diminishes. And they ended up collecting more baskets after everybody ate and they were full than they had in the beginning because that's how God works. So when God elevates a group, he never diminishes another group. That was our focus last week. Tonight, we're gonna move on to the next group who God wants to elevate that culture doesn't view the way God views, not in modern day, not in first century, not in ancient culture. Tonight, in our least of these series, I wanna elevate the children. I want you to see God's true heart for children. And you say, no, Pastor Chad, we know. Wait, we love children. We get it. God loves children. I think if you stick with me tonight, you're going to find a couple of new nuggets in there because I think God wants us to understand a little bit deeper his view of children. So hang in there with me tonight. But we are going to have fun with this because it's pretty hard to preach anything about children and not have some stories about children. So you're going to get a couple of those stories tonight. I hope you enjoy them. I'm I'm prepping you. I'm telling you to enjoy them. (laughs) Thank you. Because God's view of children is often different than our view. And do you know that children's view of the world is often different than adults' view of the world? They have a different perspective things look a little different to them. There was a mother who took her four-year-old son to the gym. She wanted to exercise. They had daycare, so she would drop off the the four-year-old son, and then she'd go do the things she does in the gym, take the classes she takes. You know, maybe she's on the spinner cycle. I don't know. Pilates, something. She gets done. She picks up her son from the nursery care, And they're about to leave. But the mom gets caught by a friend and they start to dialogue for a moment. 
And somehow she loses the boy. The boy can't find the mom. Mom can't find the boy. The boy, he's four years old. He does the most logical thing. I'm going to go into the locker room and look for my mom. So the little four-year-old boy walks into the women's locker room. And when he walks into the women's locker room looking for his mom, all of the ladies in the locker room scream. They cover up. They get dressed. They run. They hide behind the lockers. Ah! And the little four-year-old boy says, what's the problem? Have you never seen a little kid before? Good. So that worked, right? That's good. I'm going to hit you with a couple of those tonight. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The Lord is laying out for the people of Israel the second cycle of making covenant. They made covenant with Moses as the leader, Exodus. And now with Joshua, they're going to get this chance to renew, okay? And as God is laying out for them, hey, if you will renew the covenant with me, if you will obey my commandments, you know, on this side of the mountain, write the blessings, on this side of the mountain, write the curses. But on the blessing side, it's interesting how it kicks off. If you obey, it says, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. And then he goes on to define abundant prosperity. This is what it says. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb. When God thought about how can I bless my people, at the top of his list was children. I can bless the fruit of their womb. I can give them children. There was a lot of other things the Lord could have said there. Hey, if you obey me, I will grant you abundant prosperity. I will give you eternal life and riches and safety and freedom. I'll give you good land. I'll give you success. I'll give you fame. None of that made the list. What made the list at the very top was when God wants to bless you for obedience and God wants to define what he means by abundant prosperity, he says, I'm going to give you children. That ought to calibrate a little bit what we think about children. Gaining God's perspective of offspring. That was important for me this week in meditating on his word. This was the reward. The blessing. Knowing the perspective that God has from Deuteronomy 28 as abundant prosperity defined by one of them as children. Now some of the other verses in the Bible start to make a little bit more sense, such as Psalm 127, verse three, four, and five. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So God has called children an abundant prosperity. God has called children a heritage. He's called them a reward. This is God's view and perspective of children. Proverbs 17, 6, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. Now children are a crown. 
As we move through the different scriptures, whether it's the Tanakh or the, it's the Bricha the Shah, you're going to find that God's language for children is a little bit different than the culture surrounding the scriptures. God views them at the top of the list. They're a reward. They're a prosperity definition. They're a crown. They're a heritage. This is what God thinks of children. And that's why when Yeshua came to minister on earth, he had to give us the viewpoint of, wait, you guys are looking down on children. You can't do that. That's not how God created them. Just like you're looking down on women. That's not how God created them. Just like you're looking down on the person who's in the middle of a challenge part of their life right now. You're looking down on them. That's not how God sees them because you know what happens to children? They grow up. And they start to move into their, what? God-created destiny. They don't stay children. It's a temporary station. Just like the person in prison and the person that's hungry and the person that's homeless, that's a temporary viewpoint from God. A child is a temporary viewpoint. They will grow into how God created them. And he wants us to see them from that perspective. How did Yeshua himself treat women? Matthew 19. I want to read this about the children. Matthew 19, 13, 14, and 15 are the verses. I don't just want you to hear it from the Tanakh perspective of when God sees children. How does Yeshua do it? It says, then people brought little children to Yeshua for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, you're about to catch their perspective, the disciples rebuked them. That'd been like, hey, Yeshua, we've got some ladies who need prayer. And the disciples said, we rebuke you. He doesn't pray for women. Well, the same thing happened with the children. Yeshua, we've got the children. We rebuke you. He doesn't pray for children. He doesn't pray for the poor. He doesn't pray for the sick. He only prays for the proper and the educated. I don't know why this means proper and educated, but that's what I felt like doing. This is a physical example of proper and educated. They rebuked them. And Yeshua said, mm-mm. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Everybody who thought you were getting the kingdom, guess who it actually belongs to? Changed the perspective. He had to tweak what they understood. And remember, he's not just rebuking the crowd in general. He's rebuking his guys. It starts at home. You want to follow the Lord? You want to be a servant? You want to walk in your calling like a disciple? You get corrected first out of his love. And he rebuked the disciples and said, don't ever hinder the children to come to me for the kingdom belongs to them. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Yeshua knew where children were headed Yeshua knew the viewpoint and the reward that children were, the value that they held in the kingdom of God. He knew it was a temporary stop toward their eternal destiny. But he also knew that children had a perspective that the adults needed to be reminded of. And he 
refers to that child's perspective quite often because children just see it differently. Children have not experienced as much as adults have yet. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. I'll give you a little story. A child's perspective. There was a policeman. And the policeman was in a special unit. This is called the canine unit, where, where they have the dogs that are trained to work with the policeman. So the policeman takes the dog with him wherever he goes. Usually they're trying to sniff out drugs or something like this. They're trying to find drugs. If you've ever been in the airports around the world, some of them have these dog, uh, the drug sniffing dogs. So this policeman has the dog and they go after their, their, whatever they're inspecting and they're finished with the inspection and now they're getting back into the police car. And so the policeman takes this very well-trained dog and he takes him to his car and he opens the, 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 the back door of the car and he tells the dog to get on in and the dog is so trained, he obeys and the dog just jumps in the back seat of the car and the policeman shuts the door. Policeman gets into his driver's seat. Just then a little kid knocks up, walks up and knocks on the window. Policeman rolls down the window and says, yes, sir, little man, how can I help you? He says, are, are, are you a policeman? He says, yes, sir, I am. I'm a policeman. What can I do for you? He said, I just had a question for you, Mr. Policeman. What's your question, little guy? He said, what did the dog do wrong? <laughs> yeah, let, let, it, let it marinate a minute. You see, the child, for those of you that didn't, didn't get it, the child thought the dog had done something wrong and he was getting arrested. This is going really well. Enjoy it. The word of God is good. Because the perspective was different. It was innocent. It doesn't have all the layers. It's, it's God loves you. Okay. He loves me. Great. There's not something to fight through to get to that revelation. It's innocent. It's pure. And God knew that we as adults needed to be reminded of some things that the children do well. And that's why he kept referring to them this way. That's the way God views children, but that's not how the world has always viewed the gift of children. According to worldhistory.org, even if we look at the first century, we look at the Roman Empire, who was so advanced, children had no rights in the ancient Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the father had the ultimate authority to inspect the newborn child and to then decide if they wanted to take care of it or not. If they didn't, they would simply leave it out in the elements to die. That's how Rome viewed children. Perfect time for Yeshua to come in and say, no, 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 that's not how we look at children. This was also true for other ancient societies. We get from many writings the stories of Sparta who wanted to train warriors and they would inspect the children at birth. And even, even well after birth, they would inspect them for any defect. And as the legend goes in Sparta and some of the ancient writings, if, if the child was unacceptable to the parents, they would simply throw it off the cliff. A live child. Because they didn't see God's perspective on the children. They didn't see God's created destiny for the child. They couldn't see anything but the selfish motive that they had. 
This is how the world viewed children. Children were property. They were hired hands, if you will, that could work the fields. They were eligible for sale. You could sell your children if someone else needed a servant. You needed money, just sell the child. Especially when it came to the female children. One account says it was very common for a young girl by the age of 11 or 12 to be sold and given away by her father as an arranged marriage to gain money. Because this also helped the status of the father. And that was the viewpoint on children. That's what they were worth. And the whole time God's heart is breaking. He said, that's not what I made. That's not what I created. You guys are missing the valuable creation. And, and Yeshua comes in and he elevates. And he says, don't, don't treat the prisoner like that. He won't always be like that. Don't treat our ladies like that. You better figure out how valuable they are from the way I created them, their roles. Don't treat the children like that. That's not how I created them. You know, God also has a different timetable than the world when it comes to children. God deals in the present, right? You guys understand, I've taught you that. God lives in the present. He doesn't necessarily live in the past. He doesn't necessarily need to live in the future. He lives in the present. That's why when God prophesies, he just tells you the way it is. He doesn't tell you maybe. If everything lines up in the future, I hope it works out. I hope it meets my prophecy. No, he just tells you like it is because time is nothing but a creation itself. It is an element that God created, but he doesn't live inside of it. He lives outside of it. So he lives only in the present. So when God looks at a child, he sees the full span of the child's life. His full span of his eternity, he sees it. And the timeline of the children begins not after birth, it begins before birth. You say, can you prove that in the scriptures? Judges chapter 13, verse five. God is calling Samson, talking to his parents. He says to his mom, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. He is to be dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He's, he, hear me on this. He wasn't born and being trained and God was like, oh, I see the potential. He wasn't even born yet. I'll go one step further. She wasn't even pregnant yet. And God saw the life of Samson. He said, that one's dedicated to me. I'm gonna go prepare the way. This is how valuable he is. He's gonna lead Israel. Before the mom was pregnant, he's gonna lead Israel. It is a truth. It is a present reality in God's perspective. That's why he views children this way. David was called the same way. Psalm 22:10. from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. God is relating to children in the womb long before they're even born. God's already relating to them because they have a spirit. This should help us clarify God's view of life 
Not that anybody here at King of Kings regularly would have ever questioned our stance on that, but let me be clear. We believe life begins at conception. When God gave the male and female each a set of chromosomes and those chromosomes hit, life begins right there. From that point on, God will continue to relate with that child. You say, why do you say continue to? Because perhaps he's already relating to the spirit long before he's even in or she's even in the body. But certainly as the chromosomes touch, that is life. It is to be respected. It is to be elevated. It is to be valued. There are eight different times the Bible commands not to participate in the child sacrifice of Molech in all of the religious practices that go along with it. If you need a little history there, you can take it home as homework. This Canaanite false god also shows up in the Phoenician writings, the Carth- uh, uh, those of the Carthaginians as well also mention him. Child sacrifice. And we need to relate this as closely to today as we can. And I want to be very careful and very sensitive for just a moment, so hang in there with me. We, we, we don't believe in abortion. But I want to be sensitive. If you've ever been forced into that scenario, God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. All the pain you're, you've gone through or have gone through, he wants to take it from you. All the guilt and the shame, he wants to take it from you. There are better alternatives than that. He doesn't condemn you. God doesn't hate you. And if anybody's currently in a position or might find themselves in the future to be in a position to even think about aborting a baby, I want you to hear me for one second. Please come talk to one of our leaders. We have families, we have friends, we have organizations who are ready to help these babies. And please remember, the child inside of the womb already has a destiny by God. And that's why we we don't intervene and try to play God. We simply, even if we can't keep the baby in our own household, we still want to have the child and dedicate the child to God. Because God has a destiny for that child. I'm not, that's not a word of condemnation. That's a word of vision. And God loves you. We might be reminded that in this process of elevation of the children who were considered the least of these, not worthy of anything more than to be thrown off of a cliff or inspected and left in the elements, maybe to be killed or or burned as a child sacrifice. But God calls us his children. As a matter of fact, let me hit you with this. Long before God needed to be your, your savior, he was already your father. The relationship we have with God doesn't start with savior. That's a wonderful relationship that we needed desperately. 
but it's not the first relationship. The first relationship is creator-father. That's how we know him first. Because he was already the father before sin was ever introduced to the world. As a matter of fact, you can read in the New Testament how many times Yeshua refers to God as father. If you, as a parent, would give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly father? How should we pray? This is how you should pray. Our father who is in heaven. Yeshua wanted to make sure we got this relationship dynamic. Because that's how God views it. I'm the father, you're the children. And as I value you, now you go and value the other children. Romans 9, 25 and 26, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Remember, you were nothing before you said yes to Yeshua in terms of being the people of God. But you were already his children. Yeshua doesn't go to the extent of the cross for strangers. He doesn't even go to the extent of the cross for friends. He goes to the extent of the cross for his children. And now knowing that, every created person being his child, he went to the cross for his children. You say, didn't he, didn't he go to the cross for the stranger? Not to him. They weren't a stranger to him. It was his child. Well, wouldn't he go to the cross for a friend? Well, he would have, but they, they weren't just his friends. They were his children. He went to the cross for you and for me because we're his, his children first. And we're learning to communicate with God, our Father, in these ways. You know, as a parent myself, I, I have four beautiful crowns. That's what the Bible called them. Crowns, rewards, inheritances of children. I have four beautiful children, 18 12, 10, and 3. And the three-year-old is in a wonderful phase right now. Some of you picked up on that sarcasm? She's in a phase where we're teaching her good verbal skills because we'd like her to transition out of screaming at everything to using words. Right? Words are good. God created everything with words. Let's use words. And so we're trying to teach her not to scream, just use words. And her vocabulary is, is doing very well in, in, in English and in Hebrew. We speak English mostly at the home, but she's learning her Hebrew now too. So this week, she disobeyed. She needed to be disciplined. So I had to take her for a timeout. I grab her hand and I walk her to the chair and I say, you're in a timeout because you did A, B, and C. You did not obey dad. I still love you, but you're in a timeout. A few minutes later, I go back to get her from timeout. And I say, you can come out of timeout now. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Of course, I'm laying the banquet table right there for an apology, right? Daddy, I'm sorry. Sorry, I disobeyed you. you know, that's what I'm laying it out for. 
So I say to her, you can get out of timeout. Is there anything you'd like to say? She said, Dad, I don't appreciate that you put me in timeout. I said, first of all, I don't appreciate that you disobeyed me and caused yourself to go to timeout. Don't try to blame that on me. And number two, I'm really impressed that you knew the word appreciate. <laughs> Learning to communicate with the Father. It's okay if you make mistakes as a child because the heart is open, it's innocent, it's pure. I want you to learn one more important thing tonight. In our series, we'll be focusing on how much God wants to elevate each group without diminishing others. However, we can also draw out of a larger theme as we grow in our trust for God, different perspectives that we have based on where we're at. I mentioned the child's perspective. I mentioned the woman's perspective, the downtrodden. But each type of person that we speak of, or each position in life that we speak of, there are crucial lessons that we can learn from that perspective, even if we don't like being in that perspective. Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. There is a different and valuable perspective of who God is depending on where you stand. I've entitled tonight's message on children, The View from Down Here. The view of Yeshua from a prisoner's perspective is a deliverer. He delivers them. He sets them free. The view of the hungry or thirsty person is that Yeshua is a provider. The view of a woman could be of Yeshua the protector. The view of the slave or the servant could be Yeshua the master, the teacher. From the falsely accused, they might see Yeshua as a just judge. The outcast would see him as someone who is welcoming and accepting. The grieving person might see Yeshua as the comforter. Not that every position like that is great, and it certainly doesn't feel great when we're in some of those tougher situations in life, but my encouragement is this. Each position in life has a perspective toward Yeshua that is valuable, if you can see it. And we can learn different things about his attributes from those perspectives. He's a savior to the sinner. He's a healer to the sick. Different perspectives of God. And we get to spend eternity learning all of these things. And God continues to reveal himself in added ways. Exodus 6, verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. He's talking to Moses. He's saying, Moses, I revealed a lot of myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to you, I'm giving you more. I'm revealing more. I'm giving you a different perspective, Moses, because you need to show them that I'm the deliverer. I'm the lawgiver. I'm the protector. I'm the king. 
They need new revelation from that perspective. But even as believers, when we have these different perspectives, maybe as a child or maybe something else, it would help us to remember, friends, when we are sharing Yeshua with the unbelievers, that unbelievers also have a perspective of Yeshua. To the unbeliever, some see God as an enemy. To others, he's unfair. He's stubborn. He's narrow-minded. He's outdated. Some of them see God from that perspective right now because it's temporarily where they are at. Keep praying for them, keep loving them, keep serving them, keep inviting them until they can see God from a different perspective, hopefully like a child. But to the child, as we close, God is a strong father that can be trusted. Final verse tonight, Matthew 18, one through five. At that time, the disciples came to Yeshua and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What does Yeshua mean by whoever takes the lowly position of this child? Because Yeshua has just elevated them. Well, this is what he means. If you can grow to the place of a child, the irony of that, if you can grow to the place of a child, you will walk in innocence. You will walk in trust. You will walk in a certain measure of moldability and teachability. You will be excited about the future again because you believe God is what he says he is because there's nothing else in the way of that revelation. God is a strong father who can be trusted. That's why Yeshua wanted to elevate the children because we as adults needed to be reminded of some things. Let's pray. Father, it is to you we look. We often start our prayers that way. It helps us to be in the right frame of mind, our Father who is in heaven. Tonight, we commit ourselves as your children once again. We did it through the water immersion for some. We did it tonight through the seudad adon, the elements for the others. But our heart wants to make a proclamation that we belong to you. We are your children. Yeshua, we thank you that you went to the cross for your children. We know the Bible says we can never run from your love. Where is there a place we can go from your love? Who can ever escape the love of God? No one. There is no place. We can also never escape being your children. And Lord, we're in the middle of a cultural war right now that doesn't view children the way you do. They don't view life the way you do. It doesn't seem like a reward an inheritance, a crown, or abundant prosperity to have a child today. Our birth rate is going down. 
abortions are going up. First of all, forgive us, God. In a moment of identifying that we the people did it, please forgive us. But Father, let the body of Messiah lead the way in elevating your creation. Let us lead the way in elevating the value of children, of elevating women, of elevating the prisoner and the sick and the poor and the homeless and the hungry. Let us lead the way. Help us to do it, God. Help us to love them, Father, the way you love us. In Yeshua's name, amen.